Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. We're completing today the armor of God, strong in his might. It's the completion of our armor. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get Pastor Sean's message it was fantastic on the uh, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. And today we're going to complete the armor, and uh, we're going to discuss what it is um, that the armor is for, and we're going to look at the end of the passage as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking and starting with verse 16, and we're going to read it until verse 20. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. And precious Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that everything that is said and done here would bring your son Jesus honor and glory and praise. Father God, we love you, and we confess our dependency upon you, Lord. We confess, Lord God, that there are people here that are happy Father, rejoice with them. There are people here that are sad. Weep with them. And there are people here, Lord God, that are struggling. Be near them. And hurting, be near them. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have an enemy, and he wants to defeat us. And he does it through our weaknesses. And so think about the weaknesses that maybe you have in your life or the things that you struggle with. The enemy wants to exploit those. The devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to destroy us, and he tempts us, and he appeals to us in our weaknesses, the sin. He attacks us with untrue thoughts, and he uses sometimes his henchmen of people that use hurtful words 
to abuse us and to discourage us and dissuade us in this life. The battle is raging, and we all know about half our armor. I want to review. Pastor Sean talked about the belt of truth last week, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. But what about the rest of the armor that we just read about? How do we not feel exposed when we feel attacked? And what else do I need to put on so I'm prepared for the constant attack? It's interesting, as I talk to people in this Christian life, they are, some of them are doing very, very well, and some of them are constantly waiting for that next moment to be able to just go a little more because they can't continue on because they're so tired or they're so beat down or they're so discouraged. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison. And Rome has started the persecution somewhat in a small way of Christians. And the Apostle Paul gives them armor, but it's not a armor to which to fight physical battle. It's an armor to fight spiritual battle. And what does that look like and what does that mean? And the Apostle Paul kind of lays this out for us. And what are we to do and what's our response? See, understand this, that the battle was already won on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't say, good luck in the battle. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he didn't say, I hope you make it, Christians. No, when Jesus was on the cross, he yelled out to Telestai, which is, it is finished. It's complete. It's done. Which means that victory has occurred. The battle has been won. We don't have to fight for the Lord. The Lord has fought and won. Satan is a defeated foe. And we think every day when we get up and we're constantly being bombarded and attacked that we have to fight. No, the reality is that Christ is won. Victory is his. It was assured on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and bodily rose from the dead, it's finished. Satan is a defeated foe. He bit his heel. Christ crushed his head. He's defeated. And we now stand as more than conquerors through him who loved us. We'll look at that in Romans 8 in a little bit. But there's three more pieces of armor. And he talks about the protection for our backside in an indirect way in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is this. Let's jump in. The shield of faith. Arrows are flying from the enemy. Now let me give you some contextualization. Rome, most powerful army in the world. They had shields. Up until that point, shields were not very large. Some of them were larger than others, but the Romans had huge rectangular-shaped shields that were made of wood, covered in leather, with metal on the outside. It made it extremely heavy. And oftentimes, before they went into battle, they would go by a waterway to make sure they had plenty of water to drink, and they would take their shields and they would dip them in the water. 
because nothing was more intimidating than flying arrows or darts that were on fire heading towards you. I can't imagine. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing, he's saying, take the shield of faith. He takes the characteristic of Christ of faith, and he puts it towards the shield. And these Roman soldiers would dip their shields and soak them, and the leather would get all wet, and they would pull them out, making them quite heavy. And the Roman soldiers then would go into battle with these shields that were wet, so when the arrows hit that were on fire, it would extinguish. So that fire was no longer a concern. No matter what the enemy threw, they were safe. Satan throws arrows at us all day long. And the only defense that we have, complete defense, to be able to hide behind is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk about the source of our faith. The source of our faith is the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. If you want to have your shield be large enough to be able to hide behind, you need to make sure you're in the Word of God. You need to have this Word of God be in you. It's not that we master the Word of God, but that the Word of God masters us and masters our life. And so the idea then is we have the Apostle Paul talking, and he's saying, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the, fair, the, the darts, the fiery darts that are coming from the enemy, and hide behind it. And how do we increase, grow our faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. We're talking about sanctifying faith. We're not talking about the faith that saves, but either one, both come from the Lord. Remember the man that son was sick, and, and, he, and he came and he said, Lord, I believe, and he's talking to Jesus, but help thou my unbelief. It's the idea of the lack of faith. God gives us our faith. Some would say, well, if I just had more faith, maybe God would do this miracle. And the reality is Lazarus didn't have any faith and God raised him from the dead. Thank God, right? And so it's up to God what he's going to do. Don't think, oh, if I had more faith, then maybe. No, the reality is that God gives us our faith and we respond and react to that gift of faith. Because it all belongs to the Lord. And in fact, in Mark 11, 22 and 24, he says you need to have faith. Which means as God grows you and conforms you to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, it should well up within you this faith. That as you look at Christ, as you're in the Word of God each and every day, your faith will grow. So much so that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can look at this mountain and say, hey, jump into the ocean and it will. Remember, faith is not this action, it's this reaction. It's God working in us and us responding with faith. But I want to talk about the importance of the wet shield for a second. The arrows are flying, the enemy, in a spiritual sense, they're flying. The arrows of lust, greed, gossip, hatred, 
unforgiveness. They're flying through the air. We stand behind our faith, our shield of faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. But the apostle Paul says, extinguish the arrows. Well, how do we extinguish the arrows? How do we make our shield wet? John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to living water. Our faith has to be refreshed and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, our faith dries up. The importance of the wet shield is the Holy Spirit refreshes our faith every day. What is that? What does the Holy Spirit do? I don't understand. See, the Holy Spirit is God. It's the third person of the Trinity. And what we do is we yield ourselves to him and his authority in our life. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, he says, be not drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't let something else control you but the Holy Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God flow through you. Just as alcohol doesn't control you and make you, it does affect you. So the Holy Spirit of God affects us in every decision and way we live our life so that when there's sin coming up, the Holy Spirit of God comes alive in our souls and says, don't do that. Take up the shield of faith because the attack is coming. The Holy Spirit quickens us. It's important that we are in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. But it's important that we're controlled by the Holy Spirit of God so that we use the faith that he gives us appropriately. What did, remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, it's how we worship. They that worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God in us, the truth of the word of God in us makes us complete worshipers. So the Apostle Paul says, take up the shield of faith. The second thing that he says is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. And take the helmet of salvation. Well, what's the helmet of salvation for? What's a helmet for? So you don't lose your head. So lose your head, you lose your life. It's kind of important. You want to keep it on your shoulders. So we're not talking about a physical loss of head. We're talking about a spiritual, losing our head spiritually. What does that mean? It means that our thoughts matter. It means that the, our salvation is to remind us of how to keep a steady head. When you feel like you're going to lose your mind... I have five kids, I have five kids. And sometimes the only place I can go and be alone so I don't lose my mind is my car and I shut the door and it's quiet. And what happens? I have to remind myself of the goodness of God and the fact that God saved me, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he bodily rose from the dead. And my salvation is my starting point for my sanity. If you don't believe me, let's look at the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The importance of being saved means that our thoughts change us. What we think. In Proverbs it says, if a man as a man thinks in his heart or a woman thinks in his heart, so is he. Thoughts, heart, so they are. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, 
I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. We're going to go to the next one. There we go. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformation comes. Literally in the Greek, the renewal of your mind, it really means by the way that you think. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the way that you think. Philippians 4, 8, write that down. It talks about thinking on things that are true and honest and just. A lot of us, the arrows that come from the the enemy, we hide behind our shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation, but the reality is in our mind, we start thinking that these might be true. When you believe a lie instead of the truth, what's the truth? Pastor Sean talked about it last week. It's the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you allow the truth of God's word to permeate your mind and your thoughts, you are transformed. Salvation in our head, what's the connection? That we're to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And then verse 12, it ties our thoughts our thoughts are then tied to salvation. Because in Philippians 2.12, I love this passage of Scripture because it lets me know that salvation at times, we think that salvation is this transaction and we, as the further that we're more mature we get, we get further and further away from the gospel when there's nothing more than the gospel. Our thoughts are to be consumed with the gospel. Our lives are to be consumed with the gospel. And so let's look at Philippians 2, 12. Well, that's B. Let's go to C. Our thoughts are tied to salvation. But Philippians 2, 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is he talking about? No, it's the process of salvation at work in my life and in my thoughts Every moment of every day, I'm working out to be... See, God is at work making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he's using everything in our life to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. My wife makes me more like Jesus Christ. Husbands, you make your wife more like Jesus Christ each and every day. Figure that out sometimes when you're having a fight. But it's a great mystery in that process, though, that he's conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And in that, the question is, is what are the thoughts that you're thinking? Are your thoughts consumed by the Holy Spirit of God? Are they consumed by the word of God? Do you have the mind of Christ? And are you working out this salvation with fear and trembling in your life? It's this process of me becoming more like Jesus Christ. Helmet of salvation, don't lose your head, change your thoughts through the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the sword of the Spirit. So I, I was like, yes, finally an offensive weapon. There's two types of things. When there's a battle or when there's a fight, two types of responses, two main responses. Fight or flight. 
The God of the universe has a great sense of humor. I am fight. My wife is flight. So when we get in an argument, I press in harder. My wife turns to walk away. And because I am a fight, I follow her and tell her what's going on. This is what happened early on in our marriage. It didn't make for a very happy marriage. Because my wife's response to the battle was always to fly away. My response was press in. I have three brothers. I have an older brother and two younger twin brothers. We used to have free-for-alls. We used to beat each other up. I mean, I mean, I have stitches everywhere from these things. It was survival, survive or die, fight or die. My dad was in the Marine Corps. I understand. And so when I see the sword of the spirit, I get all excited and I go, yes, we get to fight now. Woohoo! But the reality is, is the sword of the spirit is not to attack, but to stand. Never once does he say attack, defend. Look at verses 11 and 13. Let's let the word of God answer the question. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What? Stand? I want to fight. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Okay, now it's getting good. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to fight, right? No, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all fight, right? No, to stand firm. It doesn't say to run away. It doesn't say to fight. It says to stand. This was a huge aha moment for me. Because the shield of faith, what the Romans would do with their shields of faith is they would lock shields together. And the goal was for them to withstand as a wall, a mighty wall. If you've ever seen Gladiator, and they're, they're in the arena, and then they all like lock shields, and that one guy's like, I'll do it myself, and he goes out, and he's like the first guy killed. And then like, but then they all lock arms, they all lock shields. And then they say, he says, as one, as they're blocking the chariots. See, the idea was that they were to act and fight together, or to move as one unit with the helmet of salvation on. But then the sword wasn't one of those massive Braveheart swords. No, the sword of the spirit of the Romans was a little 18-inch short sword that all the Romans would carry. And the goal wasn't to gain ground or to lose ground. The goal was to push back the attack by pressing through in between the, she the shields so that they wouldn't give up ground, that they would stand their ground. And at the middle of the attack, they would have their wings that would come around, their flanks. They were to stand their ground. 
So the entire goal was for them to stand. And so being on the front line means you stand. And the sword was there to push the enemy, not to push the enemy back, but to get the enemy away, to create a distance or a gap between the shield and the soldier and the enemy. Turn over in your Bibles. It's not in your notes, but write it down. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 30 through 39. Why is this important? Because I want to fight. My wife wants to run. And God wants us to stand. Romans 8, 37 through 39. This is what it says. It says, now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? It means this, that Christ did the work. He fought the battle for us. The victory is secure, and therefore we stand as more than conquerors. Battle's over. It doesn't mean the enemy doesn't want to hurt us. It doesn't mean the enemy doesn't want to attack us. It doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't just press into us. And you might be here this morning, and you might be feeling so overwhelmed by what's going on in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's something in your life that's pressing, and you feel like that the enemy is breathing on you because he's so close, and you're holding your shield. And my question to you is, if you're in a small group, then maybe they're holding their shield with you. If you have that Christian community, if you don't, Man, I'm praying that you find a small group, some other Christians that will stand, and they're breathing on you. And now's the time to pull out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and to push back the enemy. Because you want to quit or you're getting tired so that you can stand your ground. There's some things I want you to see about the Word of God here in Authority of the Word of God, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. One of the reasons that we set up, we have a, a podium, Pastor Joey, Pastor Sean, and myself. This podium, we put the Word of God here, and then there's you. And the idea is, it's a symbol of the fact that what I'm saying, hopefully, is filtered through the word of God to the congregation. It's not this. It's this. So that my words, words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in God's sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There's the authority of the word of God. We rest in the authority of scripture We might not like it, it might be difficult, but we rest in the authority of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The authority of Scripture comes from God breathing in the Scripture and the Scripture then communicating to us where God uses the Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God never contradict. When people come up to me and say, well, God told me to tell you this, 
often my response is, where? Where did God tell you to tell me? Because God's not going to say something that's contradictory. God wants me to divorce my wife. I've heard that one. No, God didn't say that in his word. Where does God say it? Looking at the word of God, what does the Bible say about whatever? No, the word of God is our authority. It's the authority of our elders. It's the authority of our pastors. It's the authority of our church. Secondly, the word of God is powerful. It's the power of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The power. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is the authority. The word of God is our power. Gives us power. Now, the idea is, in my mind, I've seen people use the word of God to not stand their ground, but to attack. In fact, I've been guilty of it myself. Well-meaning people that take the word of God and they try to attack. They're not standing their ground. They're looking and they're trying to wound you with a scripture verse. You're struggling And that well-meaning Christian comes up to you and they take the word of God and they go, here's the scripture. Don't you feel better? And you're bleeding and oozing everywhere because they use the word of God like a sword to hack you up. And you feel worse than when you were talking to them. Have you ever been cutting something and then you cut your finger somehow? Just a little itty bitty knife, those... My wife's really good at, like, mincing things. Like, I'm horrible at it. I cut my thumb real bad one time. Blood everywhere. It's, like, all wounded. And I was like, and I was like well, I think you're going to need stitches. I'm like, I'm not paying the 80 bucks to get stitches. I got super glue and goes, ah! All the doctors here are like, oh, my gosh. Infection. I can't believe you did that. But it's that, that idea that just that little cut and the wound and the blood and, and all of that. You can really seriously wound somebody in a spiritual sense by taking the word of God and hacking on them when you're using it in a way it's to attack, not to stand. See, the word of God is also the eternality of the word of God. There's the authority of the word of God, the power of the word of God, and the eternality of the word of God. It means it's forever. It's eternal. You might, on Sundays, you might remember great stories that the pastors tell, but the reality and the important part is the scripture. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It says this, the grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. See, the eternality of the word of God, it means that the word of God is going to last forever. And so be careful with it. Be careful. Don't use it to hack somebody. Use it to heal someone. Think of more of a scalpel. than a sword that's going to hack somebody up to attack them. So letter D, 
Again, I ask more questions. Why the sword if not to fight? Really frustrating for this person that wants to fight all the time. Why does God give us a sword if we're not to fight? In fact, Matthew chapter 26, 52, remember when Jesus is in the garden and they come to arrest Jesus and Peter cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus said, put away your sword. For those that live by the sword will die by the sword. No, we're not to fight a, a physical battle. The sword is not given to us to hack each other up or to turn and run away. Hebrews 4.12, faith, I mean, I'm sorry, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. What, what's the significance here? It divides between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. What's the significance then of why God gave us the sword? It's because when you feel pressed in and you feel tired and you feel weary and you feel under the weight of it, that's when you pull out the word of God against our enemy and that's when you pull it out and you use it to be able to stand your ground. It's not to take ground. The battle's won. What does Christ not own? What has he not defeated? If he defeated death in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's defeated everything. The battle is won. Victory is secure. So whatever the darts are in life, whatever the things that are happening, whatever the things that you feel under the weight of, you pull out the word of God at that moment and you respond with the truth. You respond with the sword, and it's not the sword of truth, it's the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will respond to you and let you know when to use the sword and how to use the sword. Not to hack, but to push away and to stand your ground. The reason for the sword of the Spirit is not to lose ground in the battle so that you can stand. Sometimes it's so hard even just to stand. It's interesting. Both people are frustrated. Those that like to fight and those that like to flight. Those that like to fight, come on, let's go. Person that likes to run away says, no, 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 just stand. Those that want to run away, the person that wants to fight is there just saying, no, 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 just stand. See, both are frustrating. And God looks at us and says, stand through the Apostle Paul. Don't lose ground. The battle's been won. We're to stand because the enemy is coming against us and not to lose ground. Sometimes we don't have the strength. It's, when we, it's important then that we link shields, that we, that we tie in together. Sometimes we're attacked and we just want to quit. It's then when we stand together. Because there's no armor on our back. There's no armor on the back. Why is there no armor on the back? Who has our back in the battle? Well, let's answer that with the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Well, the first person that has our back is the Lord has our back through the Holy Spirit of God. 
when you want to turn and run away, when you feel like the enemy is surrounding you, know that the Lord is behind you and he is fighting the battle on your behalf. I remember when I went in for surgery and they put me in this gown. And I don't know if you've ever had surgery and wore a gown and you feel very exposed on your backside. And you're walking around like this. Or pushing and pulling a bag as you're exposed. And sometimes you just need somebody to know that they've got your back. And you might have been betrayed by a friend, a family member, a loved one. Understand this, the Lord has your back through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 12 says this. You shall not go out in haste and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Do you see what's... Isaiah, what the Lord's saying here in Isaiah, don't attack, don't run away. God's fought the battle, and God's got your back. The second thing here that we see in Scripture, and this is my favorite part of the Scripture because I feel like we miss this in the Christian life and, and, and somewhat in our church And so this is important, Christian. It's important for us to tune our ears to this. Praying at all times in the spirit. So what's got the Christians back? We have each other's back by prayer, through prayer. Look what it says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers for all the saints. Christians are to cover each other's back in prayer. Prayer is vital to the health of our church. Some of you might feel alone, exposed, been hurt. Somebody might have hurt you, done something to you. You feel isolated, angry. You feel like that they're going to come and get you from the back. Christian, we're to have each other's back. We dedicated an entire room in this building just for prayer. You're here today and you need prayer, go to the prayer chapel. There'll be great people that love you and love God. That's why we have the connect cards on the back, dropping them in the boxes, because it's prayer. You write a prayer request down. I pray for those on a regular basis. I either bring them up or I print them off, and I pray for them, and Pastor Sean prays for them, and our elders pray for them, and our prayer team prays for them, because we know that we can be, feel awfully exposed on our backside if it's not for prayer. We're to pray for each other. Christians are to cover each other's back in prayer. You might feel lonely and exposed, but let me share something with you. Get in a small group. Share in your small group the sins that you're struggling with, the temptation that you're dealing with, so that you would be protected. See, Jesus already won the war. But it doesn't mean that the devil doesn't want to stop. 
It doesn't go, oh man, I'm defeated. No, his goal is to absolutely keep you defeated in every single way possible. The apostle Paul knew it, he saw it. And he said, here's the armor that you need to fight this spiritual battle. And it's not just for you as an isolated soldier, but it's you as a unit. The church of Jesus Christ, Coastal Community Church is a unit, and the enemy wants to come and destroy us and defeat us, and it's up to us to pull up the shield of faith that God has given us, Christ. Christ is our faith. Christ is our sword. Christ is our helmet. Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Christ is around us, and we're to link together to cover each other, and there's no armor in the back, and so it means we have to cover each other's back, and the Lord has our back as we cover each other's back. When you're in your small group and you're sitting around the circle and they ask for prayer requests and there's a sin in your life that you're being tempted with or there's a sin in your life that you constantly give into, having somebody have your back means tell on the sin. Communicate it. This is what I'm struggling with. Please pray for me. We have a missions trip going to Jordan in a few weeks. Pray for us. Because the spiritual attack, the spiritual battle will be huge. Pastor Samir and his family are there. They've given their life for the gospel with death threats by people as they go into the refugee camps and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go with them, pray for us. That the enemy couldn't come behind us and wipe us out. Pray for us. We need it. When you're sitting in your small group and you're all circling around and you usually just kind of give out a prayer request, search your soul and say, what's the sin that I'm dealing with? What's the struggle that I'm dealing with? What's the attack that I feel like I'm constantly under? Here it is. Tell on your sin before it tells on you. Because if you tell on your sin, it's not that bad. Your sin tells on you, it's way worse. And allow the church of Jesus Christ to come around and not to expose you. Hopefully you have a Vegas group. What happens in the group stays in the group. And you pray for each other that God would deliver you. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much. Confess your faults one to another and you will be healed. question is, is are you in Christ? Do you have Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As the worship team comes out, my question to you this morning is, maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose again from the grave. He died on the cross for your sins so that you can give him your sin and he will forgive you. He will make you right with God. But you have to humble yourself and say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Christian, you might be here and you might be ready to give up. You might have prayed this prayer for God to help you, to deliver you, because the enemy's pressing you in. And you've asked God to take this temptation away a million times, and he hasn't taken it away yet. And you're asking God, God, please, please, please take this away, take this away. And he hasn't done it. And you might be here and you might be willing to give up. 
You might be ready to give up. It's time for you to tell somebody because maybe he's doing an end around on you. And for that Christian to come around, the other Christians to come around you and to pray for you. Christ has given us everything we need to stand in the battle. Do you have Christ? And for those of us who are in the battle, are we ready for the battle? Are we ready to stand? If you don't know Jesus Christ, very simply, you pray this prayer. You say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. And by faith, I receive you into my life. If you pray that prayer, Jesus will save you. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Christian, if you're here today and you're ready to give up, you're ready to give up the fight, maybe this is an unusually difficult week or month or year or life, it's time for you to get up and go to the prayer chapel and get with some people and say, pray for me, I need prayer. Prayer changes everything. Because the God of the heavens hears, hears it and he makes it a little better every day. I promise it won't be flowers and roses the next day. It could be, but for the most part, it's just little by little. He changes us to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, and he delivers us. And so let's pray. Precious Father, I pray for those that don't know you, maybe that maybe just came to know you and invited you into their life. I pray that you'd seal that decision by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for those that are here that are struggling and ready to give up ready to quit. I pray, Lord God, that they would take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that you would get their back and that they would tell others and that these other Christians would get their back. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you change us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.